This is Black and Gold Rush, the podcast where we talk about all angles of New Orleans Saints football. I'm your host, Rachel Jones, and I've been a Saints fan all my life, so I know just how much this team means to our city, both as a former reporter and from my season ticket in Section 257. Whether it's breaking down game tape or telling an inspiring off-the-field story, I'm here for it because the Saints bring us together. Let's get going. What's going on, Houdat Nation? Welcome to a brand new episode of Black and Gold Rush. I finish up my second semester of grad school this week, and let me tell you, the timing could not be more perfect. Just in time to unwind and settle in for the NFL draft. It's honestly one of my favorite weekends. There are always surprises, and our Saints have shown they aren't afraid to go after what they want. So the million-dollar question is what will happen in round one this year? Will the Saints snag a top corner like Caleb Farley? Or what about a premier linebacker? I have a great guest today to discuss it all. Luke Johnson is a friend of mine going back to our reporting days in the Daily Reveille newsroom at LSU. And now he covers the Saints for the Times-Picayune and New Orleans Advocate. He's been on the Saints beat since 2018, and today not only will we talk mock drafts, cornerbacks and receivers are at the top of the list, but if you've listened to my other episodes, you know we also explore what makes Luke Luke, and it's an excellent story. Luke spent four years in the Marine Corps before college, and He calls it the best decision he ever made. You'll hear what motivated him to go that route after growing up in rural Wisconsin. And he also tells us how he never expected to spend the rest of his life in Louisiana. But meeting his future wife at the Reveille threw a slight kink in that idea. And they've been married almost five years. And stick around for, of course, all the draft talk. Luke is pretty confident where the Saints will take a quarterback, too. And one more thing. Next week, former Saints GM Randy Mueller will be my guest here on the pod for an inside look at the front office side of the draft. Ever wonder what goes on behind the scenes on draft day? I sure do. And I can't wait to talk with Randy, who was behind the Saints drafting Deuce McAllister in 01. I'm also working on getting a player's perspective for a special draft day edition of Black and Gold Rush. So be sure you're following me on Twitter and Instagram at RachelW504 for a special announcement to come on that. But for now, let's get into today's episode and welcome in Luke Johnson. Luke Johnson, welcome to the show. Rachel, thank you for having me on. Well, it is great to see you again now that you're basically a veteran on the Saints beat. I'm looking forward to talking Saints and also sharing your story with listeners. So I also I always take my guests back to the beginning, if you will. So give us a glimpse of your life growing up and what first sparked your interest in sports. Yeah, I grew up in 
like rural Wisconsin. Like we're, we're talking, I had 10 or 15 classmates in my grade. Uh, so uh, there wasn't like a lot of competition uh, and I got to be uh, like pretty good uh, among those like 10 or 15 classmates. Uh, so, so that like sparked my interest in sports. Like, like I, we were playing baseball and we had to travel to all these other little tiny towns. And I was really, really good against those people. I'm like, yeah, I have like a future in this. You know? <laughs> I love and, that. Uh, and then, you know, then I went to high school at a, at a big town with like 10,000 people in it. And, uh, I was like the 15th best player on the team. So, uh, at some point, like, like, I developed this really crazy interest in sports at a very young age. I, I played it. I was pretty good at it. And so then I started like gravitating toward like following like the pro teams in Wisconsin. I was like a huge Packers fan, a huge Brewers fan growing up. And, uh, and that part stuck with me even as like, you know, I started to realize I wasn't nearly as good at sports as I thought I was. Uh, so, but I, I played all through, all throughout high school. I played even while I was in the, in the Marine Corps, I tried out for the LSU baseball team because I'm still like holding on to this idea that I'm actually good at, at baseball. Uh, I wasn't good enough to make the team. They do remember me for like not throwing a single strike, but um, oh my goodness, not a single strike! <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I think I got like a 10 pitch tryout and that's 10 straight balls. But... From rural Wisconsin to the Marine Corps, yes, I definitely want to talk about your time in the Marines, uh, which was. Uh, prior to when we uh, first connected at uh, on our time at the Daily Reveille Sports Staff, so uh, tell us w- uh, where you served in the Marines. What inspired you to to, to enlist, uh, and how that experience shaped you into who you are today? Yeah, so uh, I mean, there's really two things. Uh, first and foremost, my, my dad was in the Marines for 22 years. Uh, always looked up to him, always like kind of envied his stories. Um, and I, I kind of wanted to, you know, escape rural Wisconsin and go out into <laughs> the world a little bit. Um, so that was, that was number one. And, uh, you know, number two, uh, 9-11 happened when I was a sophomore in high school. Okay. Um, and then that was, yeah, I think that that was pretty formative for a lot of people my age. Um, people who were kind of close to their enlistment date around the time it happened. So, um, yeah, I probably, if that never happened, I don't know if I would have enlisted. Uh, yeah, I probably would have been, uh, very curious about it and thought about it. Like, like a lot of people who find out I, I'm in, a, I was a Marine, uh, come up to me and say, Oh, I always thought about joining the Marines. Like I probably would have been one of those guys who always like comes up to somebody and says, I thought about it. But, um, but yeah, uh, I enlisted in 2004. I did four years. Um, best decision I've ever made, I think, even though there's a lot of a lot of downs mixed into the ups of those four years. And uh, yeah, uh, I, I don't think uh, I don't think I'd be half the person I am today if I didn't do that. Wow, that is unbelievable. So you served for four years. Was it in the in the U.S. that you served, or? Yeah, yeah, but I, almost none of it was spent on like mainland us um okay. so after boot camp um did some training like in the, the kind of uh san diego area um did some training in oklahoma and then for the next three and a half years i was either in 
Hawaii, Okinawa, or Iraq. So wow. I got to see the world. I, I got that, that part of that, that little box is checked off. Oh, oh my goodness. Is it ever? I mean, like you said, I mean, literally following in your dad's footsteps. I mean, the best decision you ever made like that. That's incredible. So after your period in the Marines in 2008, you arrived at LSU. So how did that really shape your experience going forward? Well, I mean, I, I was, I was, it really matured me. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, uh, my dogs say hi. Real life, yes. Real life <laughs> happening before us, yes. Um, yeah, I, I think it, it gave me an opportunity to, to, to like separate myself from like who I was as a student, who I was before the Marine Corps, and uh, and like learn a lot of values that really helped me as an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's like the discipline or, um, you know, I got really into exercise. I was in much better shape after I got out of the Marine Corps. <laughs> I've kept, I've mostly kept it. Um, yeah, it's, there's, there's just so many like little, little lessons, little things you just kind of stack throughout your day that just make you, um, in, in my opinion, yeah, a better person, yeah, somebody who's, who's capable of getting more things done. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if I, I, I don't think I would have had that if I would have just gone straight to college. Um, and, you know, I don't know if, how I had that whole process would have even unfolded. I was like a terrible student in high school. <laughs> yeah, it's not like I, I didn't have the intelligence. I just like didn't care. I didn't have the discipline. And that, I, wow. I think the, the Marine Corps really helped with that. And then, you know, by the time I graduated LSU, I had like a three something GPA. And I, I was really proud of that. Because I had like in my last year and a half of high school, I think I had like a, uh, a two point something, like a 2.5. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And then we not nearly as hard. Yeah. And then we spent as much time in Hodges Hall as we did in the classroom, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> Probably more so. It's a miracle that I had a three plus GPA. <laughs> right. Right. So we met, you know, I was on the, I was on the football and women's basketball beat. Uh, what did you cover again? Oh man. Uh, but by the time you were there, I was probably still covering, uh, uh, like, track and field and golf or something like that. Okay. I was, I was a little man on the totem pole for, for a while. <laughs> that started in men's and women's tennis. Right. But then we, you know, all moved up the ladder. Yeah. Uh, right. But yeah. uh, I mean, I can't, yeah, I just can't say. There, <laughs> in, in my time there, I think like, I covered golf, track, uh, football, baseball, softball, men's and women's basketball. So you got the whole like, the whole experience, especially if you started early, like I did, I'm pretty sure you did as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was there in Beverly for three years, almost three and a half yeah. years. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I, I mean, just everything. right. I just can't say enough about how much it really helps us get great jobs out of after college. The Reveille did. I mean, I've talked about it on previous episodes, just getting that practical experience, you know, the newsroom aspect of it. But um, before we get into the NFL draft, I can't not ask you to tell the story about how you met your wife, Chelsea. Uh, she also worked with us at the Reveille and is a New Orleans girl herself. She interned with me at the same summer at the Times-Picayune, uh, 2010. So uh, describe how that unfolded uh, for us before we talk Saints. Yeah, uh, it was like we knew of each other without really knowing each other. Uh, she, 
for people who, who've never were totally unfamiliar with the Daily Revely, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, at least when we were there, we had like newsroom, mm-hmm. which was a separate room that had just a bunch of computers and sports had its little corner and news had its little corner and everything. And then there was a little doorway that was often closed and that was called Backshop. Uh, and Backshop is where they designed and laid out the paper. Mm-hmm. So Chelsea worked in Backshop and I worked in the newsroom. So like we'd cross paths every now and then and never really like say hi to each other. So it was like there's that wall separating us. But then randomly we had a class together. Uh, and ironically enough, the name of the class was Marriage and Family. Um, that we were trying to get. Oh uh, my gosh, this is awesome. Yeah. yeah. Like we were just each trying to get like a you know like an easy A, which we definitely both got. You know we didn't pay attention to class. Uh, and we sat next to each other and, and literally got to know each other there. We were like, hey, yeah, like I know you. And, I, and the funny thing was like she was considering dropping that class and take some, but she got to know me a little bit. She stayed in the class. Gave her a reason uh, to stay. And then, mm-hmm. Yeah, and then like you know next thing one thing led to another, and yeah, I was pretty like committed to to probably like leaving Louisiana. It just wasn't home for me. And Chelsea was like semester after we met, she was going to study abroad in Amsterdam for six months. And then she left and we stayed together and I decided to stay here. And next thing you know, I've I've worked professionally here in Baton Rouge and Lafayette and New Orleans. And um, yeah, it's been eight years since I graduated college. I'm still here. I'm married to married to the New Orleans girl. I thought that's going to change anytime soon. Wow. I mean, yeah, we hear a lot of stories about how people end up getting married to a spouse from New Orleans and they just end up staying. So I love how you we've basically adopted you as as a southerner now, Luke. You're just you're just not going to yeah. leave. When I go home uh, and I, I talk to people uh, up in Wisconsin, I'm like, oh yeah, you sound like you have a southern accent now. And I'm like, oh no. I don't, I just, I just don't have what you have anymore. So, right, right. You're, you're here for long enough. You start saying y'all all the time and right. right. Yeah. It's, it just becomes part of you. So, well, all right. I love, I love to hear that. Yes. Please tell Chelsea hello for me. So we're recording today, exactly two weeks from the NFL draft. Every time we log on Twitter, Saints fans are like, is it here yet? Is it here yet? It's been kind of slow, you know, not a whole lot of moves in free agency, but the Times Picayune and Advocates Beat Writers just published their mock draft 2.0. I'm going to link it up in the show notes so you can see the prospects they each chose for the Saints first and second rounds this time. So Luke, for the second straight week, you have the Saints going with Cornerback Caleb Farley out of Virginia Tech. So the issues with his back weren't enough to make you go a different route, huh? Yeah, honestly, I think I think the uh, the latest reports were that uh, he had a medical evaluation in Indianapolis. They're they're doing those this year uh, without there being a combine this year. That's like the most important part for a lot of teams is medicals, and uh, apparently they came back looking pretty good which for the Saints might actually not be good because uh, it might push him out of range for them to pick him. Um, I think Caleb Farley is the best corner in this draft. Um, and uh, if, if teams get scared off by his back, uh, 
And, you know, the Saints may even be one of those teams, but if teams do and he makes it toward the back end of the first round, I think the Saints could get maybe one of the best defensive players in this draft. Uh, so just, just so your listeners are aware, we use, uh, we use like these mock draft simulators, right? They, they you know, generate the first 27 picks um, and then they give you a pool of available players. So we all had, like, we had some really good players to choose from. Uh, Jeremiah Ogosu, Koromora, the uh, Notre Dame linebacker, like kind of a hybrid type player was available. Uh, Tulsa linebacker Zayvon Collins was available. There's really interesting wide receivers like uh, Kadarius Tony and LSU's Terrace Marshall. Um, so I, there was some decision making to be made. Um, but yeah, I think <clears throat> I think it's pretty clear looking at this roster as it is right now. Uh, and you can say there's one overriding need that they have, and that's a corner. No um, doubt. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise me if the Saints like, roll into the season saying they want to play Zach Bond at, at the will linebacker spot. Um, you know, so maybe maybe they don't feel the need to draft somebody like Alosu Koromora or uh, or Jaden Collins first round. Um, maybe they feel like they can address that later in the draft. Um, and maybe the same thing applies for corner. Um, yeah, it's if you look at the back at the last six consecutive years, they've used either their first or second pick on um, on an offensive or defensive lineman. Maybe they do that again this year. They, they really like bolstering that area. They, the defensive line in particular uh, kind of took a hit this year yeah. um, with uh, Trey Hendrickson and Malcolm Brown and Sheldon Rankins all playing elsewhere in 2021. So maybe they do that. But I, I think if I were the GM, if somebody like Caleb Farley was available or uh, – you know, another player I really like is Northwestern's Greg Newsom, um, who is not available in this mock, but could potentially be there at number 28. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think you got to pull the trigger. Right, right. I think you're 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 spot on. Cornerback, no doubt about it. Arguably their biggest need. Somebody opposite Marshawn Lattimore. We've talked about it week after week. That was interesting what you said about you think Zach Bond's going to be ready to step up at the linebacker for the Saints this yeah. year. That's the thing is nobody really knows. Uh, yeah. He played, he played, I think, 82 defensive snaps last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was their starting, he was their starting Sam linebacker, but they were only in, in the base defense for like eight or 9% of their defensive plays last year. I was looking through the formation counters. Uh, and I, I think their top like 32 defensive formations were all nickel or dime packages. Yeah. Um, so it's it just remains to be seen whether the Saints think they can trust him as a, like an off-ball linebacker. That was a big question with him coming in. Um, you know, it was last year at Wisconsin. He was he was an edge rusher, and he was really good at that. Um, yeah, I think he he was like in the running for a defensive player of the year in college football, and um, the first team All-American had a bunch of sacks. Uh, but it's not what the Saints asked him to do, and. Uh, he barely ever saw the field, even though they, I think Alec Angeloni was ineffective at times and made him trade for Quan Alexander. Um, so I don't know. It's it's really interesting to see whether they think he can even step into that role because he didn't do it at all last year. And it's not something he's been asked to do for a while. Exactly. I mean, this, this, the Saints roster is going to look so, so different 
I think their their pick at 28 is going to or if they move up is going to or or down is going to say a lot about what they think about players like Zach Bond. Cornerback though, you cannot argue is a huge huge hole. It was interesting Caleb Farley had some stern words I saw on uh Chris Sims's podcast for teams that might be hesitant about his uh his injury. He was he said I'm a dog. That's going to tick me off. So if he does fall all the way to 28 and the Saints take him, he may come in extra motivated to show what he's made of and be that force they need to contend with the NFC South receivers. So the draft is so unpredictable. That's why we're all fixated on the screen all weekend long. But so if something wild happens and like J.C. Horn or Patrick Sertan II are available in the mid-teens. We've seen the Saints trade up before. Could that happen again? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it could. Like if one of those guys fell, um, you know, maybe some maybe a team is uh, really comfortable with, with Caleb Barley's medical evaluation from Indianapolis and picks him at like 13 or something like that. That could push one of the other guys down later in the draft that you didn't expect to be there. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> you know, I was having this conversation with somebody yesterday, uh, mm-hmm. and that uh, this could be the one year where where these like eight draft picks that the Saints have, the four in the top one hundred five, are really exactly what you want because they've had to get rid of so much talent on this team yeah. to get under the salary cap, and um, they can they can replenish it with all these cheap draft picks. Um, it's it's a really good situation to be in, but can they can they like fight their usual uh, tactics here uh, and and what they have always been? Uh, and that's a team that is aggressive that moves up to get its guys. Like I don't I don't really see this being a team that will ever trade back to get more ammunition. Um, mm. They like seeing their guys and targeting their guys and doing what they can to get their guys. Um, so yeah, I, I would not be surprised to see him trade up in the, the high teams, um, to go get somebody like JC Horn or something like that. Well, I wouldn't be surprised at all. I'd be, I'd be more surprised to see him trade out of the first round or in the back, even further in the back in the first round, uh, to get extra picks, even though that would be, I think, a smart way to do it this year, uh, to replenish some of the, the losses of Emmanuel Sanders and Trey Hendrickson and Quan Alexander and Norris Jenkins, you know, guys who played a lot of productive football for him last year. Yeah. Um, you know, they're just they're they're fighting their their uh, their instincts here, which is to be aggressive. That's what they've always been. They haven't traded back in the draft since 2007. That f- fact of the day, right there for Saints fans. The Saints have not traded back in the draft since 2007. Yeah, yeah. We're going to talk about another fun fact that uh, Luke tweeted uh, about uh, where the Saints have uh, picked uh, in, in just a second. But um, I want to turn uh, to to offense and your pick for the Saints that you uh, had at potentially for number 60 uh, in the second round, Purdue receiver Rondale Moore. I, I had Jordan Reed of the Draft Network on the uh, podcast uh, in March. And he also projected Rondale Moore as a possibility for the Saints. So he's 5'7", 180 pounds, so size-wise, not unbelievable, but I'd be surprised if the Saints don't look at receivers in this draft. So tell us what stood out to you about Moore. 
everybody should uh, just like pause this podcast now and just go watch like a five minute rundown or highlight tape. Uh, the guy is like just so much fun to watch with the ball in his hands. Mm-hmm. And you could, uh, it's, it's like him and Kadarius Tony are both the same kind of players. Uh, Tony's just bigger, so he'll probably go higher in the draft. Rondell Moore is small, but he's just super fast. He, I think he ran like a 4-3 something at his, at his pro day. Um, super, super productive. Uh, he's like a, he's like a supercharged version of Deontay Harris. Right. Um, and I just, just imagining putting him, Deontay Harris, and Alvin Kamara on the field together and moving them around and getting in the ball in space and just trying to, trying to like see these, these big guys, trying to bring those guys down is just so much fun for me in my head. Um, I don't think receiver is like this huge need for the Saints. They've, they've got Michael Thomas uh, healthy. They're going to have Alvin Kamara, who's essentially, if, if he just plays receiver, he'd be like probably a number two receiver on every NFL team. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, I think Deontay Harris and Traquan Smith and Marquez Callaway are, are really a, a really solid threesome there. Um, but I do think it would help them to have a player like Rondell Moore, and especially when you, you're bringing in a new quarterback. To give him as many weapons as you can possibly give him with a, a football brain like Sean Payton, who's going to know how to take advantage of these guys' unique skill sets. Um, I just I, I love the fit. Um, I think there's a chance he's available there at 60. And yeah, I know the Saints have been looking into him. They've been looking into a lot of receivers, and a lot of the guys they've been looking at are the kind of quote unquote burners, the guys like Auburn's Anthony Schwartz, who didn't really do much of, in college, but he ran like a 4.26 in his pro day. He's like a, a track athlete. I was Amir Smith Marset. I don't want to try to butcher the, uh, the Illinois receiver's name, but there's there's a lot of guys they've, they've been looking at who are kind of like big, long strider kind of guys, mm-hmm. vertical threat guys. And I think that's really interesting. You could see him probably take a couple of receivers in this draft. That's so interesting about, uh, yeah, Rondale Moore that uh, you, the way you describe him as a fast, supercharged version of Deontay Harris, that's hard not to get excited about. So we're going to see if he's, if he's available at, uh, at 60. So something else you pointed out that, uh, that other fun fact that I alluded to about the Saints draft history, this is the third straight year that they could pick at number 100, 105 after trading into the spot the previous two years to get CJ Gardner Johnson and Adam Troutman. Uh, so that, that's actually not half bad for the number 105 pick in the draft. And you had a really great article tracking really in depth research about the Saints' history going back at all the spots they're scheduled to pick in the 2021 draft, um, really showing the potential of like NFL Hall of Famers at number 28. You know, Saints fans may or may not remember they got Pat Swilling at number 60. So tell us about that article and, uh, you know, just as far as like not to maybe turn it off on day three, you know, that they could really find some gems, you know, in the draft there. Yeah, yeah, I, I just think it's really interesting to like you can you can go back and it, there's there's been I think something like 95 NFL drafts in NFL history. So um, 
there's been a lot of chances at, at all of these like exact pick numbers for teams to find guys who are incredible players. The last couple of drafts haven't really been a, a huge like win for a lot of teams at number 28. I think mm-hmm. Patrick Queen might be the best out of the last five that's been picked. Yeah. Here, but, but there's been four Hall of Famers picked in that spot all the time. You know, Dan Marino was picked number 27. And uh, who's there's a couple others at, at number 29 who are also Hall of Famers. But like, yeah, how pumped would the Saints be if at number 28 you get a player who ends up being somebody like Derek Brooks? Yeah. Um, yeah, it'd be great. You know, and I think it's just really fun to like look at at the history of, of who's been selected at these these picks. Like you know, Patrick Scully is probably the best number 60 overall pick of all time. You know, the seventh round, you, there's it's so hard to find the guys in the seventh round who, who end up being like, you know, these big time contributors or Hall of Famers, you know, there's there's only one Tom Brady, you know, who's mm. number ninety nine overall in the sixth round. But that's that's unbelievable to think about that he was a sixth round pick. I mean, and I mean for the Saints, like Marcus Colston going in the seventh round. I mean, yeah. right. Yeah, he, he was unbelievable. Or, mm-hmm. like, yeah, even some they had some huge uh, contributors in the last uh, the teams the last couple of years who were David Onyemata was a fourth round pick, and uh, Trey Hendrickson was a third round pick. Yeah, Tamario Davis was Saints didn't pick him, but he was a third round pick back in the day. And, and like mm-hmm. you can you can really hit on some of these picks that a you know, guy comes in and you're like, who? You know, who's yeah. that? Like I've never heard of him before, and he ends up being an incredible NFL player. That's one of the fun fun things about the draft is you know, the hit rate on those first round picks is a lot higher, and I think my piece showed that. Like. Mm-hmm. It, there's four Hall of Famers at their first round pick, but then they, I think their second round pick there was none, and the third round pick there was like one, right? So the hit rate is a lot higher the higher you pick, but that doesn't mean that there's not potential superstars later in the draft. Alvin Kamara, the third. <laughs> exactly right, right, yeah, <laughs> no so, doubt about it. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely draft madness. We know anything can happen. We are here for all of it. So last uh, draft question, the Saints roster depth, we've talked about it. It's drastically changed this offseason, getting under the cap. So we've talked about the clear needs they have to address cornerback, linebacker up there too. So when it comes to quarterback, you think they might go there on day three? I think so. I, I, I feel pretty confident about that, actually. Okay. Um, yeah, because both Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill are going to be free agents next year. There's no guarantee that either of those guys are going to pan out in this offense. And I think it'd be smart of them to just like always be keeping their options open at the quarterback position. But the Saints should be, you know, example number one for how important that position is. <laughs> you know, yeah. They got, they finally got the guy in there. And you know, since 2006, they've been one of the most successful franchises in the NFL. And, you know, that's, that's because of who they had there. And when he got hurt, they had good quarterback play in his absence and they won football games. So I think they're going to continue to look at that position and address it. You know, maybe even, you know, who knows what's going to happen on draft day. And, and you know, maybe somebody falls who you're really not expecting. And, and they're like, well, he's there. We'll make a, we'll make a selection. You know, maybe one of those five guys people are anticipating go in the, the top half of the first round. Maybe somehow one of them slips and you know, they go get one of those guys. Or maybe there's somebody they have like a really, really, really high grade on and, and uh, you know, he makes it to number 60 and they say, well, it doesn't hurt to keep adding to the quarterback room. 
especially when you, you don't have like this position locked in like it has been for recent years. So right. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, there's no guarantee that Taysom or Jameis is going to, is going to be the guy beyond this season. I mean, we could be having this quarterback battle unfold next year too. You know, we could be having this exact same conversation, you know, so it's smart. It's prudent for the saints to be considering the quarterback beyond just 2021. So yeah. Yeah. So no doubt about it. We're going to see, I mean, less by the, by the time this episode goes up, by the time listeners are listening, it'll be less than two weeks before the, before the NFL draft. So let the countdown begin. So Luke, let's get into our final segment, the random round, uh, quick questions and quick answers to close out the pod. So first up, first question, what is a sports venue you have not been to that you would love to visit? Fedway Park, and I'm hoping to cross that off the list this summer. Oh, excellent. <laughs> oh, I've been there. I went there with my uh, family over 4th of July weekend. Uh, it was the summer before I started LSU, actually. And yeah, it was definitely one of the best baseball parks I've ever been to. Yeah, Boston over 4th of July. Can't recommend that enough. All right, next. What is one word you would use to describe Drew Brees? Exacting. Love that. Interesting. Uh, what profession other than your own would you most like to attempt? Do I have to actually be good at it? No, no rules. No rules. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, like if I had my dream, I'd be a professional golfer. Seems like a great life. You know, you just go like jet around the country or around the world even. And, and your whole job is to play golf. Hey, I mean, yeah, that sounds pretty fun. I mean, I can't say I would, I would probably be terrible at it too, but you know, sounds pretty fun. All right. What is a food you could not live without? Um, I mean, I'm from Wisconsin. I, I can't live without cheese. Ah, oh, right there cheese with you. In, in all forms. Like it's it's got to, whether I'm, I'm like putting it on, on things or I'm just like eating it separately. It's, it's like a huge part of my life. <laughs> All right, cheese. Uh, name a role model who impacted your life. Um, yeah, my dad. Your yeah, dad, yes. Really yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, my you, dad is uh, hugely important to me. And he's uh, yeah, the, the big reason why I am where I am and doing what I'm doing. Great. If you could spend an hour with anyone, living or dead, past or present, who would it be? Hmm. I'm going to say Tom Wolf. Um, he's, uh, he's a journalist, a uh, very famous journalist who recently passed away, but um, one of my favorite writers of all time, probably my favorite writer. And uh, I would just love to uh, know, uh, like just pick his brain about like his craft. Super, super interesting guy. I'm actually about to start another one of his books, like two or three of them. So look forward to that. But yeah, that's who I, that's who I look awesome. up if you don't know. His stuff. Awesome. For sure. And finally, nice and easy. Where can listeners connect more with you online? Yeah. Uh, you can, you can find me on Twitter. It's usually where I'm spending most of my time. It's at by Luke Johnson. Um, and if you, uh, you don't want to interact with my food pictures and, uh, and dumb tweets, you can just read all my stuff at, Noah.com. 
Awesome. Yes. As Luke said, visit NOLA.com to keep up with all the latest on the Saints as we count down to draft day. Luke, this has been wonderful. Thank you for joining me. It's been my pleasure, Rachel. It's really good seeing you again. Yeah, I hope we can do it again soon. Thanks so much. Sounds good. See you. Thank you so much for listening to Black and Gold Rush. Make sure to subscribe on the podcast app of your choice and leave a rating and review. Also, I'd love to connect more. Come say hey on Twitter or Instagram at RachelW504 and let me know what you thought of this episode. For show notes and more, head over to my website at rachelwjones.me. Until next time, oodah!